0: and make some noise. I'm glad to be here. How about you? Come on. Right on. Way to go. Way to go. Keep those clappers going. Let's welcome everybody online right now, too. Fired up that you're with us. Way to go. A bunch of you couldn't make it that are watching in, and uh, it's awesome. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm thrilled. I really am. I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. It's a great day for us because, like Ben's mentioned already and Ryan before, it's our second birthday. A lot of people didn't think we'd even make it out of the gates, let alone one, and then now two. And it's like, man, actually something's happening around here. It's pretty incredible. And for those of you who know me, you're like, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the mere fact that you started anything, dude, is impressive. And so it's it's really incredible. It's incredible to see what God's doing. Uh, Literally, we don't take any of the credit for it. It's all Jesus, and he's chosen to write a better story through a handful of people who've decided to take him at its word, to bet the farm, so to say, on what God can do in the lives of people if you just eliminate some of the obstacles and some of the roadblocks that a lot of people face when they try church. And so we're just doing our best. You know that if you've been around here for a while, we just kind of say this all the time, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done or what's been done to you, you're welcome right here, and we really mean that. And so way to go. A lot of you know this, we're in the third week of a series called Fixer Upper. We're having a lot of fun kind of working our way through this series called Fixer Upper. And the reason why we're doing this thing is because you are a Fixer Upper. I'm a Fixer Upper. We all have one. And, uh, and we kind of figured we'd kind of truck our way. It's a, a good thing every once in a while to have a rhythm where you look inside and you look outside and you kind of see what areas of your life personally of the things around you that can be fixed up. And I know for a lot of us so far in the series, we've already taken steps. We've already had some movement in an area of our lives or something around us that you're going, I can't stand to let that be in this current state that it is. got to do something about it. And we're having a lot of fun doing it. We're actually looking at a guy in the Old Testament. His name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is an absolute rock star. And the reason why is because he took on one of the greatest fixer-upper projects recorded in all of the Bible. And it's this wall of Jerusalem. He's rebuilding the city, really, and he is compelled by this. It's broken down in his life. The wall has been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, and it's just in absolute ruins. And Nehemiah gets his heart rocked when he hears about his hometown being destroyed. And so Nehemiah goes into action. He actually You know, gets some courage, stands before the king, and he says, hey, would you fund this whole trip? Would you send me back to Jerusalem? I want to take on this project. And no, he doesn't have construction background. He's just an average guy, ordinary guy like a lot of us. And he says, I got to do something about it. I got to fix up something that's broken in me, which leads us to the main question that I've been kind of teeing up all series long is this. What's broken in your life that needs fixing? Is there anything broken right now in your life that needs fixing. I know for some of you, it's instantly, you, your brain goes, yeah, it's my marriage. My marriage is absolutely one area that needs fixing. Others of you, your mind doesn't go right to marriage. Your mind goes to your finances. I mean, the last bill that you received just this last week, you go, there's no way I'm able to pay that. And you know, that's broken in my life. My financial picture currently just does not make any sense. It's broken to me. Others of you, it's maybe not a relationship, maybe it's not money, but it's an addiction. And you go, this this thing that's broken in my life right now is I've never been able to kick that thing that's grabbed me since high school or college when you first got introduced to it. And it's just held on to you, and it's just, it's damaging relationships, it's damaging you professionally, and you're going, it's just broken in my life. And then I know there's a group of us in the room where maybe when you hear this question, your mind doesn't go personal, it goes to something you see that's broken in this world. I told you last week that me and my wife read an article about a couple pilots that were traveling back and forth to the Philippines abusing orphans sexually sexually. And it rocked us so much so that me and Carrie we had conversations and we're going, we have to be a part of ending this, this slave, this sex trafficking, this ugliness that's in our world. And I know we're just in Washington, and I know we can't do everything, and no, we probably can't solve the whole thing, but we can do something. There's something that's broken that needs fixing. Others of us, it's right in our backyard. You see the brokenness of a neighbor. And you go, I can't stand to let that be broken in my life. I have to step in. I have to make something known. Just so you know, it's one of the reasons why this last Christmas, we decided as a church that we were going to give a pair of shoes away to every single kid at Stewart Elementary. It's just something that we said. So I think it's unacceptable that some kids don't have decent shoes to wear throughout the winter months. You know, They just get torn up, You know, battered, and we go, we have to step in. This is something that's broken that we know can be fixed, and so we stepped in, and we wanted to do that. We're going to do something similar again this year that I cannot wait to tell you in the months to come. But that question is driving this series. What's broken in your life that needs fixing? Now, here's what we all know about fixer-upper projects, that when you start something, whether it's a home repair or a life repair, when you start a fixer-upper of any nature, You can expect two things to happen shortly after. You'll know this right when I put it up on the screen. You can expect obstacles and opposition to happen almost instantly. Isn't it true? I mean, think of every time in your life that you decide, it's actually every January when it's New Year, you decide, hey, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to slim down the waistline. Well, opposition shortly comes at the grocery store when Twinkies go on sale, don't they? This you're like, of course! You know, they're not crazy. Everybody knows that Twinkies are going to go on sale January 2nd. That's just they do. They always I was actually in a tumble this last week celebrating one of my daughter's birthdays with family. I drove past Long John Silver's, and now they have deep, fat, fried Twinkies for 99 cents. And I'm like, oh, baby. I'm driving in the car. I'm like, I'm just drifting towards there. You know, like, everything wanted to go there. But I, I'm telling you, what, there's going to be obstacles that come your way. When you decide to take on a fixer-upper, isn't it, every time you want to lose weight, there's going to be temptations, obstacles, opposition that come to derail you from the very thing that you know you're supposed to do. I Think of it similar to money. When when you decide, you know what, I, I am broke, I don't have it figured out, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, and you decide to get to work. You decide maybe to go talk to a financial planner, or maybe you take... FPU, which is Financial Peace University or something similar to uh, you start even driving around with Dave Ramsey on your bumper sticker, you know, and And what you can expect is that very car to break down shortly after I mean you just planned on doing cash the cash system and now your washing machine breaks down. Why because obstacles and opposition Always come. They always come They always come I think of it for even some of you who are showing up to church for the first time, or the second time, or maybe this is just a new thing in your life, a new rhythm that you're developing, you can plan on opposition or obstacles to come your way. What do you mean you're going to church? Maybe some friends go, are you going to become one of those Jesus freaks? That, seriously, you're going to like show up to church? Are you kidding me? I just think we all know this. And here's what I've learned, too. I'll put this up on the screen for you. I've learned that you don't face opposition when you're doing something wrong. Very few people do. You actually face opposition when you're doing something right. And isn't this true? I mean, this is something that is just a part of life, that you don't face opposition when you're doing something wrong. When you're on the wrong direction, opposition rarely comes its way to, to stop you from doing the wrong thing. I mean, nobody's in the aisle of the Twinkies going, don't do it, you know, like, stop. I want to put an obstacle in front of you. But it's when you're doing something right. When you're taking steps forward... It's when an obstacle or opposition comes. You face opposition when you're doing something right, and Nehemiah faces this. And we're going to see today how he moves from being just compelled by this idea there's a fixer-upper that needs fixing to actually going and starting to rebuild the city that he loves so much, that's in ruins. And he shortly thereafter experiences opposition that I think we can learn from Today, Now, here's what kind of hangs up a lot of Christians before I dive into that. Something that just kind of makes us feel a little uncomfortable. is I, I, I hear this in circles that, hey, once I become a Christian, once I, we call it stepping over the faith line, once I move my hope from myself to my hope being in Jesus, you know, my faith and my trust was in me, now it's in Jesus alone as my Savior. I mean, isn't God going to make me, like, from this point on, poop Skittles and walk on rainbows and do all this fun? Like, isn't life going to be easy? I'll never fight with my spouse again, right? I'm a Christian. God's going to make it easy. This is going to be, you know, I'm just just skate around and float with a halo on, right? That's what happens for those people who say they're Christians wrong. I mean, those, who, those of us who know what it's like to follow after Jesus, understand that when Jesus said this in John 16, he says, In this life you'll actually have trouble. You know that he actually meant it. That obstacles, oppositions, they're actually going to come your way. It's not always going to be easy, but it's something that we have to understand. But Jesus says, take heart. He says, I'm with you. When, when you are following Christ, you actually have a hope in Jesus. You have a God who directs you through his spirit. He says, because I've overcome the world with God, you can overcome the very things that you're going to face. And like I said, Nehemiah today, as we read on in chapter 4, we're going to watch as he deals with the very opposition and obstacles that he faces. Now, for him in his day, they were literal enemies of what he was doing for you, it might be different. It might not be an actual enemy that you face, but for Nehemiah, it was. It was a territorial issue, as he was rebuilding a city. Was, that meant there was a threat to those around him. Territorial, and we're going to see as this guy named Sandballot and Tobiah talk some serious, you know, Bible trash to Nehemiah and try and discourage him throughout uh, his deal. Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter one, verse or chapter four, verse one. It says Sanballat was very angry. When he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, Sandballot was mad because one, his mom named him Sandballot, but two, <laughs> don't name your kid that. He gets picked on at school. You know, he was very angry when he learned that Nehemiah was starting to rebuild this wall. Why? Well, why in the world was Sandballot so angry? Well, Sandballot just so you know was the governor of Samaria. Check this out. Here's a map. Uh, he was actually the governor up here and nehemiah was building up this city jerusalem right here this is literally the the place where nehemiah was starting to rebuild so there was some issues going on in Sandballot, going oh no 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 i've been kind of the big dog you know since jerusalem's been in ruins and i don't want you starting to rebuild something for me to lose the power that i have there was a threatening issue going on a territorial issue that Sandballot. Didn't want to see other neighboring countries, cities be developed. And that's why he was so angry. So it goes on to say this. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. And he flew into a rage and he did a couple things. He mocked the Jews. He mocked Nehemiah's people saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, weak Jews think they're doing? What do they think they're doing? Stand by, wants to discourage him. What are, you, what are you doing? What do you think you can really accomplish here? Then a guy named Tobiah chimes in. He's kind of on the sidelines. Tobiah gets some courage. He goes, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. And you might go, what was he saying? That was like the Old Testament version of a your mama joke, okay? Like, he, Tobiah's going, yeah. That wall is so weak, a little fox. And Nehemiah was like, oh, no, you did not. You just talked about my wall. You, know, like, you did the fox joke on my wall. No, you didn't. Like, this was going on right now. Nehemiah was facing opposition. And if you're taking notes, I think we can learn what normally happens when opposition comes. When the enemy tries to hold you back from the fixer-upper that God has asked you to be a part of, what can you expect? Well, the first thing you can expect, it's in your notes, is this, your enemy will actually try to discourage you. They'll try and discourage you. That's what the enemy does. Sandballot and Tobiah, they, they kind of gang up together and they they come around Nehemiah and they they start poking fun. They go, what are you doing? They just kind of enraged, they start making fun of, they mock them. And it's just this reality that when you try and step out to do anything, and we all know this, this is not news to any of us, that there's gonna be opposition. And the very first way that opposition tries to get each and every one of us is to discourage us from taking steps forward. You're not good enough. The fox could even wreck your wall. Your mama is so da-da-da. You know, like, and you just go, oh, man. But here's what we know as well. That discouragement runs together. I mean, critics go together. Why do they do that? Why does it really seem that Tobias and Sandbots always hang out with each other it's because nobody else really likes to be around them. I mean, they're no fun to be around, so they kind of lump themselves together. Critics run with critics, and what is true for Nehemiah back then is not so much true for us today, that Sanballat and Tobiah would have had to actually say these things to discourage Nehemiah to his face. Nowadays, Sanballat has a Facebook account, and can just type it in, and he can press send, or he can post about somebody else, and it can just be so discouraging. That's why it's hard for some of us, when we're scrolling the internet, to ever leave feeling encouraged because it's a perfect place for sand ballots to leave their just opinions of other people right there. Tobiah, he tweets nowadays. He doesn't do your Yamana jokes right to your face. He'd tweet about you. Tobiah's even sometimes, here's what we've learned. This is getting real honest. Tobias sometimes even used the back of this thing they ride it, and they drop it in the blue and white joy boxes as they leave, going, this is what I really think of City Point, and then they walk out. That's how Tobias sometimes work, and we know this. We know that discouragement is going to come. It happens for those of us around, and I wonder when Nehemiah heard this stuff coming in. I wonder if he felt like he was at a spot where he said, just forget it. This is too hard. I remember prior to starting City Point Church, I uh, sat down with a group of people who I was going to tell about launching this church. And unfortunately for me, it was a group of sandballots and Tobias. As I started to tell them what type of church it would be, and, and again, this was not planned out fully yet, but as I was kind of just sharing, I said what God had put on my heart after been praying around Washington, I started telling them, I, I, I think I'm supposed to create a church that unchurched people actually don't mind showing up to. And they just laughed. Are you kidding me? No, nobody does that. And I told them, no, I think we're supposed to create a church where it's okay to show up even before you clean up. And like, it's going to be okay. And we're actually going to have great sounding music. And it's going to be a message. And it's going to not always be that great. And you know that. But we're going to try and keep it simple and that it makes sense. We're not going to use all this churchy language that confuses people. We're just going to shoot for being clear. We're just going to go clear. Clarity works. And I just remember people telling me, this group of people going, you're not smart enough to even be clear. You're just all dreams. You don't have any action. You can never pull this off. And I remember that evening, just going home feeling so like, what in the world? God, I think you're asking me to do this, but the people that I'm telling, they don't really agree. And I wonder if Nehemiah was in that spot. I wonder if he thought, We're working on the wall. We're trying to do something good. Like, none of this is going to be bad. But opposition still comes. And it made me wonder if there's something in your life right now where you're tempted to quit. I'm going to put a question on the screen for you. Is discouragement tempting you to quit something right now in your own life? I wonder if that's true for you. That there's an area right now in your own life where you've been discouraged. And you're starting to, instead of kind of, you know, booting up and going, I'm going to take the day and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to go for this thing. You're going, man, I didn't expect it to be so hard. And you're tempted to throw in the towel, tempted to say, God, I'm not sure if I'm really going to be able to make it. And here's another statement that I've learned oftentimes is this. Oftentimes people quit not because it's the right thing to do, but it's because it's the easy thing to do. Isn't that true? I mean, it would have been easy for Nehemiah to quit. It would have been easy for for me and the team that I had gathered to just say, you know what? We're facing some opposition. We'll throw in the towel. But that wasn't the right thing to do. That would have been the easy thing to do. So how do you face opposition when it's discouraging you? Nehemiah puts on a clinic. He actually goes on to say this in verse 4. He says, then I prayed, and I don't want to race past this. Ever since we started reading in this book of the Bible, Nehemiah. You have just saw this guy. Every time an obstacle or opposition comes up, the first thing he always does is he goes before God. He knows that his strength has got to be found in Jesus, and what God has called him to do. So he goes before God. He says, God, would you hear us? God, for we are being mocked. He tells God on these guys. He's like, God, you're, you're bigger than them. I'm going to let you know about it. Then a couple of verses later in verse 6, it says, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. It goes on to say, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. I've learned, for me personally, that if I'm going to overcome the enemy when he comes my way with discouragement, that there's two things that I need to do. I need to surround myself with prayer. I need to just get fueled up and remind myself what God has asked me to do, and then I have to persevere. There has to be this moment where, are you kidding me, quit? Quit? on this vision that God you know, put inside of me to start a church that was going to reach the region, reach our corner of Iowa, I'm not going to quit, even if discouragement comes. For some of you, you maybe felt like, maybe God's asking me to adopt or to start foster care. And as you're working on papers and you're trying to do home visits and learning all about this, you're going, oh, it's just harder than I thought. But shortly after, you go, quitting is not really an option. God has given me a task, a fixer-upper, and I'm called to be a part of this. And I've learned, which I hope you take note of, that prayer and perseverance are the way to defeat discouragement that comes your way. But what Nehemiah understands as well is they don't stop there. Discouragement often follows with something else. In verse 8, we actually find that it goes on. It says, they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. So not only are they talking trash and throwing out old school jokes on them, but they made plans as a team. Hey, let's go, and let's actually confuse them. They're starting to make some progress, so if we can't you know, intimidate them outside, we'll actually confuse them on the inside. He goes, but we prayed to our God. It's just fascinating how this is a rhythm in Nehemiah's life. And he says, we prayed to God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah, which is Nehemiah's people... They began to complain. I think this is fascinating. They go on to say this, the workers, we're getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. Have you ever heard this before? I don't know if I'll really be able to finish it. There's so much work. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And I find it fascinating that when the enemy couldn't discourage them to stop, the enemy did something else. The second thing you can jot down was this. The enemy will try to distract you throw you into confusion. If they can't intimidate you to stop doing what you're doing, the enemy will say, well, that's fine. I, what if I actually cause some distractions and I cause your team to kind of misfire on each other and, and you guys almost look internally and you forget what you're doing and you get more focused in on trying to resolve conflict all the time. I think this is actually what hangs up a lot of people in life. Start making progress and then there's somebody that you know, raises a stink and it just halts the whole thing confusion happens. Now, I don't want to steal next week's thunder. We're actually going to camp on this very, this idea of distraction. We're actually going to learn that they're, this group of, uh, you know, opposition comes and they try to tempt Nehemiah away from his wall. They, they, really, how it goes, they say, hey, Nehemiah, would you come spend some time at Ono? Ono is a place. I love the name of that place. So why don't you come to Ono? And you know Ono is bad, or you don't name it Ono. It's like, come to Vegas. Nobody will know what happens in Ono. You don't have to tell anybody. Ono. And you want to know what Nehemiah says? Oh, no, I'm not going to, oh, no. And we're going to hit on that all next week. It's kind of a teaser, so get there. But what I do want to let you know is you have to have determination to keep on going when the enemy tries to distract you away from what God's called you to do. It's determination. It's you saying, no, no, I'm not going to be distracted. Hey, you guys who are getting confused, this is real simple. We're building a wall. This is what Nehemiah had to say. There's nothing to be confused about. Yes, there's rubble. The whole city was broken down. We got a job to do. Let's go. This is real matter of fact. We got to say no to the distraction. We have determination to keep going. But Nehemiah learns that the third way, that distraction that the enemy uses is, is just as kind of vital. It says your enemy, number three, will not just try and distract you or not just try to you know, do this stuff. He'll try and destroy you as well. Here's what it says in the next verse. It says, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, before they even can you know, regroup themselves, what are we going to do? It says, we're going to swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And I find it real fascinating that this enemy is so opposed to seeing Nehemiah do this that they say, hey, push comes to shove, we're just going to blow it up. We're going to to put an end to this thing. We're going to destroy what you've started. And here's kind of what came to me this week. Because we've all faced this stuff. When we start to make progress forward, we feel like there's an enemy. There's opposition that's coming and just fighting against you. When you're trying to do something significant, no matter what area of life it is, There's an enemy, there's a pushback on your life and you're going, what in the world is that? And what the enemy's trying to do, really, is to have you tap out. Tap out. In a fighter, in a wrestling, it's it's the tap out. I'm done, I quit. That's what the enemy wants. It's what opposition really wants you to do is go, you know you'll never make it with the weight loss, you'll never make it with the financial hope. You and your wife or you and your husband, you have no chance, so just tap out. Just tap out. Is what the enemy's trying to do to Nehemiah? Hey, your team, look at you. Ne- and Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy; didn't have any background in this stuff. And he's going, "Look at you! Just tap out. It's too hard. It's too hard." And I've learned that if you tap out too quickly, you miss this beautiful thing called the tipping point. Some of you guys know what the tipping point is, right? It's this moment where you fight through the tap out moment, where you're so discouraged. And you feel so defeated and you wonder what in the world is God calling me to do? I'm supposed to try and fight for my marriage and I feel like I'm supposed to tap out because it's so hard. But you push through anyways and you find yourself face to face with the tipping point miracle. Tap out moments always come before tipping point miracles. And I want to tell somebody today that if you're here, and you're feeling this weight on you to tap out in whatever God's asked you to do, whatever significant thing he's asking you to fix up in your life, you need to remind your tap out moment that a tipping point miracle is coming if you just hold on, if you just keep fighting. Before we started the church, it was actually a week prior to us moving into the high school, I got one of the most nasty phone calls I've ever experienced in my life. None of you know about it. I haven't shared it to anybody and this it was crazy, it was this angry man. So, so angry, just hurtful words on the phone and he just is yelling at me and I, and I don't even know how he got my number but he's calling me and he's telling me all this, he said, you're destroying this city, we don't need another church, get out of here, would you just leave, would you take your family and go back home, would you go somewhere else? And I'm like, man, you just gotta come check it out, we're really not that bad, you know? I'm not even like that big of a deal. Like, just relax. And he's just so mad. And then he says, you know what we're going to do? He said, me and my friends, we're going to start a petition. And we're going to get you kicked out. And we're going to spread it all to as many people as we can. And I remember that night, me and Carrie were looking for a home. We were going to try and buy buy a home. And it was like the wind got taken out of me. I was like, I don't know if we need to keep looking at homes. I was like, if we don't have this thing take off, I don't know. And so we were smart enough before we walked into the next house with the realtor to just pray and go, God, you got to be in this. You have to be the one who leads our steps. You've got to be the one who guides us on this one. And as we prayed, I sent out a handful of text messages to some close friends, just asking people, would you pray? And I got a message back from sam's dad sam is the is the rock star guy who leads all the kids point stuff you, you love sam if you know sam but sam's dad literally texted me back and he said let him get the petition out there so let him start it let him start telling people about city point church because he's going to start a petition that's actually going to turn into a promotion of what you're doing He said, most of the friends that this guy has probably would never darken the door of City Point anyways, and they're not going to hear about what's going on, so let him spread the news. Because what this man might intend for evil, God just might use for your good. And I got that text message back, and it was so faith-building to me. We started the church a week or two later, and we started with 285 people showing up. And I just was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is so far beyond me. What God is doing here, what he's been a part of now, I'm just going, one person couldn't stop this thing. And what it was, was a tap out moment that was trying to keep us away from a tipping point miracle. This last Easter, I'm just telling you to let you know of the miracles that we've had. We had 775 people come through the doors of this auditorium to church, and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. Christmas, we had 825 people show up, and I'm just going, there's no way. But if I would have tapped out, I would have never got to see God do the tipping point miracle. We've baptized since we've started, 75 people. 75 people that have given their lives to Christ, that are taking steps with Jesus, and I'm going, that's a miracle. Thank goodness there wasn't a tap out. 437 pairs of shoes given away for free. That's a miracle. Thank goodness there wasn't a tap out. I want to ask you, is there a tap out moment that you need to just push through right now? Now, in your days to come, because you'll never experience the tipping point where you tip over and see the miracle that's in front of you. It's gonna happen. But Nehemiah, again, this guy was a leader of leaders. He gathers his people around because he knows there needs to be a rallying cry before they get back to work. And you wanna know what he says? He says this, it's just incredible. He says, then I looked over the situation. That's what great leaders do. Kind of gathers people together and he goes, all right, come on. I'm going to take a peek, I'm going to, I need to see what's going on here. He looks over the situation, I called together everyone, the nobles, the rest of the people, and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. The tap out moment, it's not going to stop us. And then he pushes forward, and he says two things. He says, remember the Lord, who is great and glorious. And would you, kind of like Braveheart, you can just almost imagine, he says this, and would you fight for your brothers, and would you fight for your sons? And would you fight for your daughters, your wives, and your homes? And you just hear this guy almost on a horse, you know, like blue face. Fight for your freedom. You know, it's just incredible. I just get jacked up. You should read the Bible more. It's in there, okay? And so, so you got Nehemiah firing people up, and he does it with two things. The last couple of things, and I promise I'll get you out. He does it by saying, would you remember God? Would you remember the Lord? It's the only way to get through the tipping point. To get to it, you have to remember the Lord because the enemy is not shy. It's going to discourage you. Opposition is going to distract you. It's going to try and destroy you. So when you are face to face, toe to toe with your enemy, you need to remember who God is, how strong he is, how faithful he is, that he has a plan for you to prosper, not to fail, that he is a good father who sees you and wants to write a better story in you. That's what Nehemiah tells them. Would you remember how good God is? Would you remember him? And then the second thing that Nehemiah says is would you remember who you're fighting for? Would you just remember that? Would you remember why we're building this thing? Would you remember as you go into year three, as you, you know, start stepping around the corner, as you start tipping over and seeing God do incredible things, would you remember... Why you started this in the first place? Put a card in each of your programs. On the front side, it has this fixer upper brand. It's great. On the back is the, is the home run hitter. It has this very question. Who are you fighting for? Who are you fighting for? Today, the thing that I want you to remember is maybe it's your marriage, And you need to remind yourself that opposition's going to come, of course it comes, but we can't quit. That we have somebody we're fighting for. For others of you, it's maybe, I'm fighting for financial freedom. I'm fighting to get this thing in order. Others of you, you're going to write down my addiction. I got to fight for this thing. I got to get over them. I got to fight for freedom from this issue in my life. And the idea for us as a church is that there'd be a name on each of our cards of somebody who doesn't yet come, who doesn't yet belong, who maybe has written off church and written off God, going, forget it. It's not for me. I don't want anything to do with it. And we remind ourselves that we do what we do to help people who are far from God get to know who he is and fall in love with a God and Jesus who is crazy about each and every one of us who has grace and forgiveness and love it's who are we fighting for it reminds me last story on this of a guy that we baptized a couple weeks ago his name's Tim here's a picture of Tim this is Tim and his wife Ashley and and over here is Kurt and Selena Levezzo. great couple In our church, they serve. They just absolutely crush it in our first to fifth grade rooms. But Tim and Ashley are neighbors to the Lovetsos. And we baptized Tim because Kurt and Selena had the tenacity to fight for them, to keep on inviting. I want to just read you their story. This is Tim writing. He says, Growing up, I didn't have any interest in God or Jesus. It wasn't actually until college that I ever even wondered about God or Jesus or how I even fit into this world. I remember praying and I even tried to do what Christians do. I even got, Tim even got religious tattoos on his body to just try and maybe that would be the answer to this whole faith stuff. Well, fast forward to this last year and he writes that Jesus wasn't in his life at all. I'm 35 years old and I feel like I have life all figured out until one day Our neighbors, Kurt and Selena, invited us to a new church that was starting. I politely listened, but had no intentions of intending. But they kept inviting and speaking so highly about City Point that in October of 2016, I asked my wife Ashley if we should go. I was actually shocked to find out that she had been waiting for me to ask for a long time. So we took a shot and we showed up. He wrote this real sensitive about me. He said, Tony seemed genuine. The band was really good. You know, I was like, thanks, Tim. Thanks, dude. You seem all right, you know. The band was good, though. <laughs> so we kept coming. And after a while, I actually started to look forward to Sundays. Everything changed for me in July. I found myself at the lowest point in my life. I was broken. I realized that I needed hope, that I needed love, and that I needed the grace and forgiveness that I had heard about for the better part of a year. It was July 26th, around 6.30 in the evening when I gave my life to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. That night I went home and my life began to change. My wife and I connected on a level that I never knew was possible. We worked through difficult situations and circumstances and as a result now my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my entire life has been stronger than it ever was before. I feel like the mask that I wore for 35 years has finally been lifted, and we're doing life the right way with Jesus in it. I believe that Jesus forgave me. He's my savior, and I'm living for him now. There are days that are more difficult than others. We all know that, but now I escape to the Bible, and I pray, my life is being changed, and I cannot wait to see what God does in me next. I'm grateful for my life, grateful for my wife and everyone who has been praying, and especially my neighbors, Kurt and Selena, for never giving up on us. Question game Who are you fighting for? Who is in your life that you're fighting for? Nehemiah had to remind his people, they had to. Hey, we're doing this for a reason. There's a project. There's something that needs rebuilt. And they got on task and did it. I want to pray, and I want to ask God to show up in these next few moments as we start to sing and get really excited about what God has done in and through what this place is all about. Would you pray with me? God, thanks so much for today. Thanks so much for everybody in this room. God, it's my prayer in these next few moments that you would bring something to mind that we're fighting for whether it's our marriage, that we'd have the courage to own that. God, it's my marriage that I'm fighting for. Maybe it's finances. God, I'm fighting to find freedom in this area or it's freedom from addiction. God, you know what we're called to fight for. And God, it's my hope that as a church, as we partner with people who are fighting for the right things, that are taking ground for what's ahead, that they'd experience a church that's alive, a church that's coming in, ready to come alongside to partner with people as they take on their fixer-upper projects. God, it's my hope that the next year would be better for all of us than the year that we've just had, that two years would just be a moment in history that we remember what you've done and look forward to what's ahead. God, I'm asking that since this church is alive, That you'd use us, your hands and feet, to do immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine. God, I'm praying that our next year is better than our last one. God, we ask you to show up in a mighty way. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can stand up and get ready to have a lot of fun as we close out the service today.